Jazz composer John Weber has been fascinated with the piano from a very young age, and his passion has only increased over the years. John is one of the most imaginative musicians in the business and is equally smitten with all styles of jazz. John's enthusiasm is contagious, and nothing pleases him more than to introduce someone to the music he loves, which he did for me today. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Although John's musical talent was apparent early on, he was not rushed off to piano lessons. My mother and dad put a great premium on education. All the kids, almost all the kids are are college graduates, except for me. And they let us all pursue our own thing. And they were just wonderful teachers from the the absolute beginning. And they could see that when their three-year-old's spending five or six hours at a keyboard, at a piano, whether it's at grandma's house with the player piano or the the little toy organ, they thought, well, he's going to find out what he needs to find out. Already you yeah. were that interested in it. Oh, my God. Well, how many times have you met a kid uh, who has got some game they like to play for hours? And you think kids normally have an attention span of, what, 45 seconds? And then you end up playing you know, peekaboo for three hours on an airplane or something or you see a kid who's dancing in circles for two hours and, until they fall asleep and i guess you know some kids are blessed enough to have a musical instrument in the house that they can gravitate toward and play and that becomes the game and that becomes their their quest and their and their their companion it's fascinating and you're the youngest of seven baby of seven did anybody else play music Yes. My sister Monica is three years older than me, and she was a far better musician than me because she could write things. She could make up songs in a manner that was idiomatically correct. In other words, hey, Monty, we call her Mock, make, make up an Irish song, and she'd make up something that sounded Irish. Make up a, <laughs> make, how about, a, let's hear an Italian song. Funiculi, uh, funicula. She already had that figured out early on. Yes, you know the group. Make up a cowboy song. Make up a Martian song. And she would make it up, and she was so creative, a great storyteller. And and maybe out of sheer jealousy, I tried to outdoor. Yeah, well, I could play it in F sharp. And I tried to – we'd compete, and we'd play in a sort of a friendly rivalry, which – sort of became me dominating the piano for five or six hours. And, and <laughs> she's like, ah, forget it. I'll do just by else. sheer force, you just took over. True. That's why you played so much. Oh, you yeah. just it commandeered was... the piano. Oh, yeah. Being the baby, you got to, you know, you're, you're fighting your way out of a corner. Oh, especially with seven. Yeah. I would think. But every single one of them taught me something great. You know, I have an oldest brother who's this math prodigy. He ended up getting a scholarship to high school for math. And he's sort of inculcated me with all the... Uh, differential calculus and the uh, integral and infinite series and all the numbers and just ask me questions constantly. So um, I guess my mom and dad passed that on to each one of the kids. They all became great teachers in their own way. So being the baby had its its perks as well. I mean, also, I got away with bloody murder just because I got away. My parents were 40 by the time I was born, and we never got away with that. I can't believe it. So they'd constantly <laughs> remind mom and dad that I was getting away with something. Well, you love player piano rolls, which I love that you mentioned that because that was something that really inspired me. We didn't have a player piano, but anytime I saw those pianos, I was fascinated with seeing the keys go down and it looked like there were at least two or three people playing. Yeah. What fascinated you about it? Plus, I love the sound of the music. Um, it was an interactive 
toy at grandma's house. We didn't have it. Uh, grandma had more foresight maybe even than my own mom and dad about me being a musician because she um, – I never spoke to my grandma. She had a stroke before I was born, but she just kind of watched me playing. She bequeathed her piano to my parents out of her 10 kids. And because she saw maybe that I had some potential to do something with it. And along with 2000 roles, which would fill the entire room really. And I, I learned every single one of them in about a year, just played them. Oh my gosh. I, I couldn't wait because you'd hold on for dear life and you'd pump your legs like a stairmaster on those little pedals and just watching the uh, the matrix of uh, holes that are perforated in the Scott Towel-looking uh, roll, I learned every one of them. I couldn't wait. And I had perfect pitch, or have perfect pitch, which helped. And I, so I'd, I'd know, oh, I gotta, it's in G-flat. Better move it over to G, where it's supposed to be. You can actually move it a little bit? I didn't realize that. Uh, I think maybe that was a defect in the instrument itself. And also, oh, the tempo thing. Had another defect where you could remove the. It went up to 130. That was presto, and with a screwdriver, I could make it. Let's see what it sounds like at 4,000. So you'd crank it way up. In fact, <laughs> I even I brought a piano roll along, which I played at about I don't know maybe 170 or something, which I don't think any human being except for Art Tatum or you could do. <laughs> were well, you're a Jay Lawrence Cook fan. Love Jay Lawrence. He Cook. He was just. An amazing figure. Talk about him for people who don't realize that they have heard him. Because anybody who's heard a player piano roll, there's a good chance that it may have been Jay Lawrence Cook. Just a superb arranger. I heard estimates something like 3,000 roles he did maybe. He would just sit down and play and he had just, his time was impeccable. And he had these great little licks in between. He was a one-man orchestra, a spontaneous orchestrator. And he must have done... Who knows how many a day that breaks down to, but he must have just sat there at the piano all day and just did one incredible masterpiece after another. And he came from that, that time, that era of the silent film spontaneous orchestrators. They'd look at a, a film and uh, make up a soundtrack. And I would imagine that even blind people probably could have gone to a silent film and gotten something out of it if they listened to the soundtrack that was being created. Oh, it's, I guess somebody's getting tied to the railroad tracks now. Well, here comes the hero. You can hear little cues. Um, so, but, so Jay Lawrence Cook was out of that, that time and place where, uh, they were carefully, uh, writing a soundtrack as they went along. Thank you. 
done some orchestrating, which I find fascinating because I'm primarily self-taught as well. And I can't imagine, I wouldn't know the first thing about writing for strings and all these different instruments. How did you do that? How do you do that? You're amazing me. <laughs> when you get thrown into the cauldron, I guess you just got to you gotta sink or swim. And Well, know. how did you teach yourself? Because you did primarily teach yourself how to do this? Books from the library. You look up and you say, you, li- you listen to orchestrations. You can hear the, the limits of instruments. I was fortunate enough to meet Henry Mancini. I was playing a gig when I was young, and he he heard me playing a bunch of his songs, maybe you know twenty of them. Mm. And he said, well, "Come over here," and he said, "How old are you?" And we we just started chatting back. And he says, "How do you you know?" He ended up sending me his book uh, called Sounds and Scores in which I learned actually what the ranges were for each instrument. Oh, English horns from here to here. Oh, this blends. And he said, write for, if you happen to know which orchestra you're writing for, you know who's got a strong French horn player, you know who's got a great bassoon player, let them show off, let them do their thing. And I knew exactly what the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee Orchestra had, and I wrote to their strengths. And lo and behold, by the time I was 19, I was writing for 110 pieces. How wonderful. And you listened that way from an early age in terms of hearing all the different instruments? Yes. There's a perfect pitch, which means you can hear exactly what note is being played. But some piano players can't tell an F sharp when it's being played by an oboe for some reason. It's just, what is, is that? It's, is that F or is that a G, a G flat? Oh, that's it's, interesting because the timbre throws them off somehow. I don't know why because to me it's all the same. You can easily hear all the parts. Yes, there was an orchestration one time. Marion McPartland had me transcribe from uh, Jimmy did a some, did a performance with the Chicago Symphony about 1948 on Dave Garraway's show, one of his first shows ever. And she had this real to real tape. It sounded like Niagara Falls was in the background. <laughs> and I listened real hard. Then okay, there's okay, there's a clarinet. Okay, there's okay, a couple of French horns. Okay, there's a, and I listened to it and transcribed it note for note. You can do it. It's not a real cost-efficient use of your skill, but you can do it. And you know something? There's actually some value to be had from transcribing because you can. Um, Wayne Shorter described it really well. He said that um, composition is improvising in slow motion. Thank you. 
my guest, pianist John Weber, on the title track from his CD, Jazz Wagon. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. John is an old movie buff, and his compositional work has been inspired by that appreciation. Oh, my father, what a great, great man he is. He took me to see films at the Performing Arts Center in Milwaukee, where I grew up. They show films for 50 cents, and we'd see all these Errol Flynn swashbucklers where he invariably killed Basil Rathbone in the last reel. But you'd actually get to see him on the big screen, which is so much better. Big screen uh, and the the soundtrack. I remember the first time when he, my dad took me to see Robin Hood, Adventures of Robin Hood, 1938, first time. I was you know kicking and screaming, please, please. I thought Robin Hood were men in tights. I thought, oh, please, <laughs> my friends are going to see me. It's over. Within five minutes, oh, it was more action than Raiders of the Lost Ark, one, two, and three. And the soundtrack... The soundtrack was so exciting. It, it just, it followed, everybody had a theme. Every character made Marion had her own song. Robin had his own song. Sheriff of Nottingham had his own song. And when they'd be in a scene together, you could hear this fugue of the three parts going together. I thought, man, how did this guy think of this? And when I found out he did it in seven weeks, I don't know how he did it and just worked around the clock. Korngold was, I think, every film score alive uh, and... It, can just bow their head and genuflect to this man, Eric Wolfgang Korngold, for setting the um, bar so incredibly high for film score.
the Utah Symphony Orchestra playing the film score from The Adventures of Robin Hood, music that greatly inspired a young John Weber, my guest today on Jazz Inspired. I'm Judy Carmichael. done a lot of jingle work and that seems very difficult i think people think that you just whip that sort of thing off how does one get inspired to write jingles actually we did sort of whip it off (laughs) someone would call you the night before or perhaps the morning of and say uh we need five thirties and we need 160 and we need a couple of 15s um and and you don't even what what's the product? Oh, it's you know McDonald's, it's Reebok, it's uh, the Gap, you know. So you'd go in there at nine o'clock in the morning. The client's going to show up at noon, so you have all these projects to do. They, they'll play you thirty seconds worth of film. They will show the actors doing their thing. They will have some voiceover narrating behind it, and the instructions are make it funny. Okay, so you play something. You know, it's an HMO sort of thing. You know. Well, they say, then, <laughs> make an HMO funny. Well, maybe, maybe the original instruction, yeah, make it funny. You make it, and then you'll, you'll play something goofy, and then uh, and the, the, the client gets there and says, why do you make it funny? It's, uh, I wanted it heartwarming. So, oh, HMO. You, you change it to be heartwarming and then kind of funny at the same time, and, and, and then they bring it to their boss who hates it and says, can you make it more like an opera? Yeah. Hmm. HMO. And then, so oh, it, that's fun. And you, you begin, it's a composition by committee. And then, no, oh, can make it more country. And, and eventually you get up to the top boss and they have to, you know, thumbs up or thumbs down. And they listen to it and say, well, what do you have in mind? And you play your original concept and try to help everybody save face along the way. And they say, yeah, that's perfect. Great. So it really is composition to go, basically, and by committee. We would write it on a synclavier, one of those uh, very expensive instruments, which is now, unfortunately, about you know, 10 cents on a dollar, if that, where they'd have the whole orchestra. Now they have everything inside of a laptop you can do, um, which is maybe one of the reasons that there isn't as much jingle work is because uh, anybody can be a producer or a composer now because there's enough... Uh, gear to make you sound like a whole orchestra. But back in the day, we just, we did it on the fly and would change the arrangement um, as the client dictated. And how many of you would come in, you say, we, if someone calls John Weber and says, I need a jingle for my McDonald's commercial, would you go in by yourself? Would you bring a band? Would you, what would you do? If it was a, a if the client shows up at noon, um, I would get there at eight. 
start writing on the synclavier, have the other instruments, if it was a jazz thing, for example, or if it, you know, we need a tuba and an accordion and, you know, all the instruments I got beaten up for playing as a kid. No, uh, <laughs> we would bring it just, or we need uh, three singers and you would assemble these people and they would perform whatever it is you had written because you'd scribble something out. You you would finish all the the busy work by 11 o'clock and you'd have it written out for them and they would have an hour to get it together and they'd usually nail it on the first or second try. And then the client comes in at 12 and they hear it and the other folks hang around for another hour just in case they need to tweak anything like a, a vocal, you know, make it, you know, more heartwarming or more operatic or whatever, whatever change they want to make on it. One of my guests, John Weber's Jingles for the Gap. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Being a jazz musician would be a great advantage for doing this kind of work because of the sense of improvisation that you and I are used to doing every time we sit down. Exactly. It was probably a blessing that I didn't take any lessons just because when you don't, you're, a jazzer tends to be more fast on their feet with covering up their mistakes or whatever, for whatever reason. So you can, you can improvise a lot better with your artificial orchestra and then later on with the real people. When you have a jazz background, you realize there, there are alternate endings uh, and codas uh, for what you're playing.
My guest, John Weber, on Happy Days Are Here Again, from his CD, Jazz Wagon. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. For a discography of the music played on our show and a schedule of upcoming programs, visit our website at jazzinspired.com. You can email us at info at jazzinspired.com. To find out more about my music and what I'm doing, and to sign up for our email newsletter, visit judycarmichael.com. My guest is pianist John Weber. Talk about Thad Jones. You're a Thad Jones fan. I did not play any piano for two years. 14 to 16, I was too cool. I was playing heavy metal guitar in bands with guys 10 years older than me and because I could play guitar. And I got a random phone call from a man named Mark Cleckley, a young band leader who took his own time, his own energy, his own handwritten charts for the most part. He needed a piano player to fill that chair. And said, we get together every Sunday night. We play big band jazz. I'm a big boy. Glenn Miller. Please. So I said, no, no, no thanks. I'm a, I'm a guitar player now. And I really. <laughs> and he, he well, I said, come on down. I tell you what. If you hate it, you never got to come back. Okay. So I'm 16. I come down. And the first chart. What's that? A chart was in front of me with these chord symbols. What are they? And I heard, don't get sassy uh, by Thad Jones. And it went by so quickly. I could hear what the chords were, and I could see these numbers and these chord symbols going by eight changes per bar. My God, every eighth note has a different chord. How can I do this? And uh, Mark, what a great, great mentor he was. He gave me a book, two books, actually, about with pictures of a hand on some keys playing every chord all the way up to 13, sharp 11, sharp 9, flat 9, every single voicing possible. And I... Studied those for a week solid. I did nothing else but look at those. Came back the next week. I was a little bit faster. Within six months, I probably could have played in the Tonight Show band. And I was 16. So Mark was a great, fantastic teacher. And, and also, he encouraged the the players to bring in their own stuff. Because yeah, I've been writing a little bit myself. And I, I brought him in my stuff. And you know, when you're 16, you're wondering, am I any good? Can I really play? And he was the kind of mentor who'd say, oh, yeah, this is terrific. This is cool. I'm going to steal that. Oh, how nice. Great guy. And I ended up um, even naming one of my tunes after him because it was the first one I brought in. A tune I wrote when I was nine. Don't laugh. Okay. I had my own fictitious television show, John Weber, Attorney at Law. 
which was a, a Quinn Martin production. All right. And I'm a lawyer. I'm wearing my three-piece suit. And I'm, you know, where were you on the night of September 24th? And, and did you write a theme for it? Oh, it had all of its background cue music. All of it. All of it. Special guest star, Marion Hartley. You know. <laughs> Oh, and of course, somebody, somebody I haven't would, heard that name in a while. Somebody would confess, you know, seven minutes to the hour. And, you know, I, yeah, I killed him. I'd kill him again. We deserve that money. But it had all its background music, including the theme, which was called John Weber Attorney at Law. And it went through all major and minor keys. And I ended up giving it a much shorter title. I just called it Mr. Cleckley after a while because I, I just dedicated it to Mark, who was a, a, the guy who encouraged the song. I may have even forgotten how it went, if uh, if not for him.
my guest, pianist John Weber, on his composition, Mr. Kleckley, from his CD, Simple Complex. up and playing stride piano, I would meet musicians that were more in a bebop direction or anything other than stride. And it would always be really funny to me because they'd say, how do you make that swing? These would be older musicians. And they would sit down and they'd play handful of keys and the time would be correct, but it would really sound odd because they didn't have the right feel for it. And they were trying to listen to how I was making it do that. And they told me, this was when I was in my 20s, they'd always say, well, you either have a good feel for that kind of music, for swing, or you have a really good feel, you've gone in a different direction. And that does not apply at all to you, because you can do all of that. And how do you make that happen? It it is a very different feel. It's not just for our audience. I think about that. It's not just the notes you're playing and the voicings make it sound different harmonically. There is a very different feeling, and you love all those kind of musics equally. I How do, do you do it? I do love them all equally. Maybe that's... Maybe, maybe that's, that's the key? Maybe that's the secret. It just... I have... I don't know which one I love the best. People ask me, what do you like to play the best? I don't know. I mean, I like Boogie Woogie. I love playing some stride. I can't play stride the way you do. No, uh, you're very kind. <laughs> and, and and bebop, well, I have a lot to learn about all these, but uh, I'm I'm thankful to be able to to like all of them. I, there's nothing really that I that I don't like because I think I can derive something from almost any musical experience. I can mm. I can remember I can, I can remember uh, hearing a um, doing a gig and I had to stop because there was a brass quintet playing outside. So I did let them do their Christmas show for a half an hour, and I, I came back to play, and all the chords I'm playing are brass quintet chords or something. You can be influenced by anything that comes along. You can be, I, I've been in country, I mean, anything, anything, hip-hop, anything can influence you in one way or another, rhythmically, harmonically. I've, our brains are so wonderfully complex. Who knows? Uh, I'm just happy that I, I'm open to listen to everything that's out there.
John Weber loves exploring different time signatures and feels it's easier to understand than most musicians think. He reminded me of an experience I had exploring this very subject. Early on in my career, I met a great drummer, Harold Jones, and he said, you know, your real gift is rhythm. And I said, well, I don't know. And I was very insecure about everything I was doing. He said, well, I just do two over three, like three in one hand and two in the other. And I said, oh, I couldn't do that. I couldn't do it. And he said, do this. Yeah. And he just played it and I did it. And he said, see, you're not thinking about it. You just yeah. listened and you did it. And I think that that is such a great lesson for people because when someone says it's like math anxiety, someone says, do three in one hand and two in the other. Oh, I could never do that. That's too confusing. Well, listen to this and try to do it. Well, there it is. The visceral aspect you're talking, oh my gosh, that's, anybody who's seen Bobby McFerrin thump out on his chest and do stuff, <laughs> I do that, I do that when I'm walking down the street, people think I'm out of my mind, but, um, I remember, uh, you remember the song Brazil, right? Dun, 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 dun. Just that, that simple figure, and then it, uh, the second time it's anticipated a 16th year, dun, dun, dun. I remember walking down the street doing that and shaving off the last three sixteenths, so I ended up with, Sounds like very simple. It's thirteen eight. <laughs> you know, and when you write it out for a musician, they're like, oh, thanks, John, because it's all oh, great. Um, but it's actually so easy. It's so easy. It's so obvious. It just looks like rocket science when you write it out. But it, if you do it strictly by feel, you, you can you can get it immediately. Well, and you brought me a Bulgarian pianist, and I may be wrong. Isn't that kind of music? Don't they often have time signatures that we're not familiar with that we would look at as very difficult? Yes, we're we're accustomed to four four and you know, three four and maybe two two, but over there nine seven short short long. It all comes from their dances. Short short long short 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 long. And so to them, that's not difficult because that's what they grow up listening to. Of course, I mean, if, if you grew up with that in uh, in Turkey or in Bulgaria or somewhere in Macedonia, of course, it's very very Greece, very natural.
pianist Mario Gregoroff, a favorite of my guest, John Weber. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Mario Gregoroff, oh my gosh, we got reviewed in the same New York, or no, uh, LA Times article about 1994. His debut record, my debut record, got uh, compared side by side, and I thought, I, I have to hear this guy, Mario Gregoroff. And um, I met him, he's ambidextrous. He uh, writes lefty and righty and mirror images. And he composes the same way. He makes middle D the mirror point. He makes these fugues and things that, that play the same thing, they, left hand and right hand. It's really remarkable. He also paints lefty and righty. So just one of those guys. Any case, um, so, and he plays very naturally in nine, of course, because he grew up with that in Bulgaria. And he's lived in Iran, and he lived in Australia, and he lived in East Germany. So he's been a lot of different places. And I like his his uh, his concept and his groove, and he makes it feel very, very um, comfortable. Mm. And I thought, you know, and when it, what, how many times when you were a teenager did you hear somebody playing something hard, somebody your age playing something hard? Oh, I could do that. There's, there's this, <laughs> uh, you know, you, if, when, when you, you want to... It, when, it, it seems yeah, back possible. then when I was naive and thought I could do that. Now I hear people and I go, oh, yeah, yeah. It just seems possible when you see somebody else your age or perhaps a little younger doing it, and you think, oh man, I, I better be able to do that. And and that was the way musicians were maybe seventy five years ago. And I, we talked about this one time where if you're a piano player seventy five years ago, man, you had to sight read everything that was in front of you. You had to conduct, to arrange on the fly. You had to tap dance, tell jokes. Play other instruments, sing, you know, <laughs> juggle, you know, because there's 5,000 people waiting to take your gig if you mess up. So the bar was so high and people played well and they, and they wrote well. And, uh, boy, what must have been like then? I mean, so I, I feel a little bit of that because I want to be the best I possibly can be. Do you think the bar has been lowered now in the business? Yes. Uh, without a doubt. Uh, uh, it used to be very, very high. And music is cyclical, so I think it'll get back there. But just um, for, for the time being... Why um, has it been lowered? Just technology has made it easier to pro-tools your mistakes out of existence and make all your mugshots disappear if, if musically. And it, which is too bad, because back in the day, it was sink or swim, boom. The, the, the red light's on, you're recording... And you're letting everybody else down if you don't hit it perfectly. Mm. So, but now uh, you can single some uh, somebody out and you can fix what they did, and there's no need, I guess. It, or the perception is there's no need to play it perfectly anymore. Mm. And and generally, and Dave Frischberg had a brilliant thing to say that about 1955. He believes that the um, the natural evolution of where music was going, the American popular song, which was jazz and theater music, kind of was sidetracked onto a side street and something else was artificially imposed upon us. And we have right now, it wasn't a natural evolution of what had come. Mm. And what we have now is kind of a descendant of that. And, but you know, Frank's I'm, I'm still encouraged because Frank Zappa said one time, um, my music is, I suppose for people who've outgrown the ordinary, <laughs> which is a very immodest way, but he couldn't help it. He was great at, of saying, <laughs> Uh, you know something? Um, uh, if, if you're tired of three chords, check out this. That's nice. I like that. It'll get back there. Believe me. It, it's it. It has gone up and down before. It happens to be at a place right now where I mean, now anybody who's got a, a, a laptop can be a composer, or a producer, or a filmmaker, or uh, an artist. But 
there's going to be a time when you're going to want where the one-eyed person is going to be in the land of the blind and he goes, how do you do that? Mm-hmm. And and you and I are, you know, maybe we feel like walking in anachronism sometimes, kind of like, why are we doing 1920s music in mm-hmm. you know, 21st century? Because um, it is special. It is extraordinary and it is uh, becoming more and more rare for somebody to be able to pull it off live. And that's one of the reasons I brought you as many live tracks as possible because they, you know, they aren't 100% perfect, but that's, uh, you know, I do the, do the best I can. Complex? Simple complex. This cover is fascinating. You did the cover as well. Yes. It, um, I went into Tower Records, our, our dear departed Tower Records, and I looked at all the 10,000 record covers, and I wanted to have something that didn't look like any of them. Oh, this doesn't. It, it looks like a math problem or something, or a <laughs> DNA strand. Yeah, it's exactly what it is. It oh, is, is it? It is a DNA. It's a double helix, and it's got my charts... Um, so my handwriting, writing the title track, Simple Complex, which is a 7-4 version of Giant Steps in Afro-Cuban. It's a mambo, and it, it's got some South Indian uh, tabla patterns in the middle of it as well. It, <laughs> unpredictable <laughs> intervals. And I didn't announce when I when I had the musicians record, I didn't tell them all that stuff. I just said, oh, okay, it's in 7, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. It just counted it off. But, yeah, that's a DNA strand because these... Um, Musicians brought my stuff to life. I guess uh, maybe that's the reason. Oh, that's I, I never lovely. Even thought about it, but, yeah. I like that. How does one count off a tune in seven? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Uh, uh, usually I'll say seven beats. One, two, three, four, five, six. And usually a good rim shot on seven helps. <laughs> oh, that's fascinating. I've never played in seven, obviously. So I'm learning about this. Now, speaking of unusual time signatures, talk about. This tune that you have in thirteen that you wrote and the the name of it too, which I love. Oh, Triskaidecka, yeah. There, I H Conant was a great writer. He wrote about stuttering and stammering, the phenomena, the speech phenomena, in early nineteen hundreds, and he wrote this book called Abnormal Psychology, nineteen eleven, in which he talked about various phobias, including one called Triskaidecaphobia, the fear of the number thirteen. Some people just, you know, uh, Arnold Schoenberg was deathly afraid of the number thirteen. For some reason, and uh, oddly enough, he died on Friday the thirteenth um, at eleven forty-seven, which is thirteen minutes to midnight. Any case, uh, but I digress. 
but I, I you're have, scaring me. No, I have it's no. It's bad enough thinking about playing in thirteen, and now you're scaring me. I have no such fear. Uh, I remember Eric Alexander. I said triskaidecophobia. I tried telling him about it. He says, "Yes, I have that." <laughs> yeah, I tried because it's not hard. Thirteen is just seven and six. Walla walla Washington. Walla 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 Washington. Walla walla walla. If you got to say something, otherwise it's just one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. It's almost that Brazil thing we're yeah, doing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I expect all of you at home to play in thirteen after you hear this interview. I did a version of Summertime that actually won. I got second place. I did not win in Estonia about ten years ago. We did a, a Gershwin Centennial show. And I did a version of Summertime in 13. I can't find the actual recording we did. I, all I have is my demo. And, um, but you'll, you'll dig it. It's Summertime at 13, and it feels like 4 after a while. After a while, 13 feels as consonant rhythmically as 4-4 four, four Well, that's the trick, is to make it sound natural. Because yeah. the joke is always that somebody's doing something in some crazy signature, and then they say, doesn't it sound natural? And you've got a headache, you know? <laughs> so... You have a headache if you see the number first. It's the math anxiety. Uh, but if you don't see it, if you just do it by if feel. If you just listen. If you do it by feel and you keep on saying over and over, this is easy. This is easy. That's true. You you know, your eyelids are getting heavy. <laughs> and, and you can actually <laughs> fool yourself and everybody else into thinking it's easy. And then after a while, you listen to the God, we play that? Gee, is this the new TV show, John Weber Hypnotist? So John Weber, attorney at law and hypnotist. And hypnotist. John Weber, mass hypnotist. I should write a concerto uh, for mass hypnotist and orchestra. Well, no, I've gone to those concerts already. (laughs) They're hypnotic. Well, where you think you heard something, but you're not sure. Oh, that's funny. As a friend of mine said when I was at a very boring concert and people were starting to trickle out, and he said, he leaned over and whispered in my ear, there's two ways to empty a hall. This is the slow way. Oh, (laughs) So they have the hypnotism music. But let me ask you, I'm curious too, because... You talked about growing up in Milwaukee. I know you lived in Chicago for years, and now you're in New York. Yes. What's New York doing for your inspiration? People come here to be inspired. Have you been inspired by New York? Or? By everything and everybody. Oh, fantastic. Oh, man. You, the talent, the level of talent is so incredibly high out here. It is encouraging to come out here. I, I love Chicago, but man, I'm telling you, when you hear people this good, you just dial up and you shed and you practice and you, oh, I, I got, I, you want to have something to, to show off. I mean, it, it's, it is a, it makes a musician in all his glory, his or her glory, um, should be in New York just to have that impetus, that push from other musicians. Uh, you hear great musicians on every instrument and you just, just want to dive right in and say, oh, how about this? That's how we felt. That's how we met at a piano player concert. A six piano player concert. My gosh, what a, oh man, was I. Talk about bringing your best game. I felt like I better play or go home. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That was really fun. And we all got to hang out too, which is nice too. That's something people don't think about a lot is, and, and we talked about it, is that pianists don't often get to hang out together because there are always other instrumentalists that are in the band. Yeah, you were. So for us to just have six, Piano players there and get to spend time together was really remarkable. Yes, it was. I mean, most of the time, other you rarely have a two piano gig even. So pianists are sort of this abstraction in our Rolodex. And I'm going to call for this. Okay, but yeah, uh, that was that was fun to actually be on stage and just mixing and matching. You know, to Barry Harris and you know, Ted Rosenthal and Dick, Dick Hyman. Hyman. Oh my God! Oh, <laughs> they're expensive. Yeah. 
It was great. And this has been great. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed it. I've learned a lot. I'm going to go home and Walla Walla, whatever that was. Walla Walla, Washington. Walla Walla, Washington. Washington is three syllables. You can make any odd time signature. In other words, nine. Walla Walla, Washington. Walla Walla, Washington. Walla Walla, Washington. Walla Walla, Seven is Walla Walla, Washington. Walla Walla, Washington. Walla Walla, Washington. I know it's silly. I know it sounds funny. I haven't. No, but it's a a good way to do it. Well, a kid or for Judy Carmichael. I'm not going to go home and try to play Honeysuckle Rose with Walla Walla, Washington somehow in there. It's it's very easy. All right. Next time I see you, I'll be doing it in 13. Oh, you scare me. (laughs) Thank you, John. Thank you, Judy. You've been listening to pianist John Weber. I hope you'll join me here next time when I talk with another creative person about how jazz has inspired their life and work. I'm Judy Carmichael, the host and producer of Jazz Inspired. My production engineer is Curtis Hydoff. The opening music was Airmail Special, and the mid-break music is a smooth one from my CD High on Fats and Other Stuff. The closing music is Old Fashioned Love from my CD Trio. I'm on piano with Mike Hashem on sax and Chris Flory on guitar. For a schedule of upcoming programs, to sign up for our email newsletter, or to find out how you can personally support Jazz Inspired, visit our website at jazzinspired.com. You can email us at info at jazzinspired.com. To find out more about what I'm doing and my music, visit judycarmichael.com. Special thanks to Tom Rickenback, Stephen Linda Plotnicki, and our webmaster, Megan Lewis. Judy Carmichael's Jazz Inspired is made possible with generous support from our listeners and from Steinway & Sons and the American Hotel, Sag Harbor, New York. Visit online at theamericanhotel.com. Thanks, too, to Sag Harbor Florists. You can visit them at Sag Harbor Florist and Gifts. Dot com.